0: Well, that was uh, Darnisha Taylor, our Director of Worship and Music. I've known Darnisha for about six years. Uh, She does a lot of things really well, but the thing I most uh, respect and love about her is uh, she's a woman of God. And uh, those of you who get to know her and get to work with her this year, you're going to be blessed, and all of us will be blessed uh, as we uh, gather together to worship uh, under her leadership. And there's another member of our staff I want you to meet that I have actually been interviewing for about 30 years, <laughs> that's how long I've known her. Uh, she's a dear friend and a person that I have seen over and over again, uh, but used of God to work with, uh, with students. Uh, she's got a great sense of humor, uh, a deep love for Christ, and she is the uh, assistant uh, campus pastor. And would you welcome uh, Kathy Knowling. Yeah. Now, we need your help. We're going to invite you to sign up for some stuff as you walk out this morning. Uh, There's four things we need help in. We need people to greet at the door and pass out the little cards. We need people to set up in the morning. We need people to uh, do the technical end of things. And we need people to be involved in worship leadership. Uh, Darnisha could carry it all herself, but that's not why we brought her here. Uh, She's here to equip you, uh, to get you uh, where you need to be. So you can lead us, because uh, nothing's more important to me as this uh, campus pastor is that you see your peers uh, leading you in worship. Uh, this, is, this is our community here. And uh, so Darnisha will bring all that she brings, but we are so, we're so excited about what it's going to mean for the many of you who, uh, who have gifts and uh, music uh, to be involved with that. So there's sign-ups outside as you walk out through the foyer. And you can sign up for worship leadership, for uh, setting up in the morning, Uh, the tech end of things, and for uh, standing at the door. There's a third person I want to introduce you to, and uh, you've already met him. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Gady, our president, to come up to the podium here. Uh, There was no card that someone held up and said to applaud, Stan, so... uh, um, I want you to know how grateful I am that I get to, uh, get emotional in front of a thousand people <laughs> over the, uh, the man who's, uh, the leader of this college. But I am so grateful to God that, uh, Dr. Stan Gady is the seventh president of Westmont College. And, uh, he brings a vision of the Christian liberal arts, uh, the lordship of Christ in all areas of life that I, I believe in. And, uh, on your behalf, I want to uh, pray for him before he begins this academic year by uh, giving his presidential address. So, would you pray with me for Dr. Gady? Father, thank you for this, uh, this dear brother, this man you knit together in his mother's womb, uh, whose days, every one of them, were written in your book before they came to be. Lord, I pray now you will fulfill your promise to him, that you would give him the power of the Spirit. Give him great wisdom, great vision, great faith, Lord, to lead this college. And, Lord, we gratefully receive his leadership. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thank thank you, Ben. Appreciate that very much. (coughs) Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before anything else began. And he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is the body, his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead so that he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and by him God reconciled everything to himself. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I want you to stop thinking about whatever it is you're thinking about right now. First day of classes, person sitting beside you, Fido back home, whatever. And think for a moment about your ideal Christian, your ideal Christian. What you imagine the ideal Christian to be like. And I want you to go from the ideal to the real and pick someone, anyone, friend, family member, anyone who comes to mind, who comes pretty close to fitting that ideal. Should be someone you admire, who's a rock solid follower of Christ. Someone perhaps that you would like to be like. Okay, got the image. Now let me ask you a question. What's this person like? For example, is this person growing as a human being? Are they a learner at heart, somebody who wants to know about other things and other people, as well as about the Lord they love? Or perhaps instead is this individual not so much of a learner as more of an action person, a person of deeds, a real servant who loves to help others? Or finally, instead of being a learner or a doer, perhaps this person is someone who just really loves God deeply, unabashedly, with feeling. With the whole of their heart and soul. Which is it? Is this person a learner, a liver? I'm not sure about that one. A learner, a liver, or a lover? Well, let me take a guess. Right now, you're thinking this is one of the dumbest questions that you've ever heard in your life. Because for most of you, when I asked if the individual was inquisitive and growing, you said yes. And when I asked if the person served others, you said yes. And when I asked if they loved God deeply, you said yes. And you really don't want to choose between them because they all sort of fit. Maybe one more than another, but they all fit. Well, there's a reason for the dumb question and for the fit. And the reason is, in the ideal, we think of these qualities as going together, right? And that's because in the Bible, that's precisely what we learn from beginning to end. There's not a shred of evidence in Scripture that you can choose between being a person of faith or action or wisdom. If you love the Lord... You act as if that's true. And one of the first actions is to grow in your understanding of Him and His world and what He has called you to. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is meaningless. And a faith not growing in wisdom and understanding is a faith in something other than Jesus Christ. Now, why am I telling you all this? Where am I going? Well, as you know, I am the president of this college. And this is the first chapel of the first year of my presidency. And a lot of you are sitting there thinking, what's he going to say on this occasion to mark the year or perhaps even to mark his presidency? And what I want you to know is that what I'm going to say today is exactly what I've been saying for a long time and what I plan to say as long as the Lord gives me breath. And it's all there in the passage that I read just a few minutes ago, out of which comes our motto, by the way. Christ preeminent in all things. Did you recognize it? Let's listen to it again, this time using the NRSV. And this time I'm going to ask Brad to put it on the screen if we can manage that. Let's see. There we go. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Through the blood of his cross. Fabulous passage. Fabulous passage. And it contains our motto. Did you see it? Perhaps not because you won't find it, those words precisely. They come out of the King James Version. But it's there in that second to the last sentence which says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have, and this is the phrase, have first place in everything. Or as the King James words it, so that in all things he might have the preeminence. What our motto does then is really summarize this whole passage where Paul defines for us who Christ is, who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing now and forever. Good passage, anytime, in any setting, but especially so for a liberal arts college. But now let me ask you something. As you think about that passage in general and our motto in particular, what strikes you as the most important word or words in the passage? Just take our motto for a moment Christ preeminent in all things. Aside from the word Christ, which obviously is the point of the thing, what word do you tend to focus on? Preeminent, right? Christ is preeminent, first place in everything. Maybe, but maybe not. In fact, I think it could even be a mistake. Given the way we typically use these terms, because in context, preeminence, I think, is a bit of an understatement, at least as we tend to use the term. We think it means he's in first place, as the NRSV puts it, which means that he wins all the time. He's the first in line, the best, numero uno. But the text clearly means that he's not just first, he's all in all. He's one with God, creator with redeemer and reconciler of all things. The point then isn't that Jesus is the brightest kid in the block or in class. The class is his. He's not only the best of us, he's the point of us. Our creator and redeemer, our beginning and our end. All things belong to him and were created for him and find their meaning in him. Let's look at the whole passage again. This time highlighting the phrase, all things. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things, all things in heaven and earth were created. All things have been created through him and for him. Moving to the next screen. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then in that last line... For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth. Striking, isn't it? This is no modest claim. That's the point. This is no modest fellow. Jesus is not just your best friend. He's the only true friend you've got. And all you will ever ever need. We follow him not just because he's the brightest kid in the block, but because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We believe in him not just because he is our redeemer from sin, but because in him there is life, abundant life, real life, the only life worth living today or any day. But here's the question. If this is true, and we say we believe it as a college, if this is true, then what does it mean for us Here, this year or any year at Westmont and I want to suggest that the first thing it means the first thing is that when it comes to following Christ you can't choose between your heart or your head or your hands because Jesus wants them all a few weeks ago we got a, a call from some friends of ours who live in San Diego they're old friends We met them when we were students here together at Westmont, and we've been close ever since. Even when we lived in New England for for 20 years, we kept up with them, got together almost every summer. And as a result, our children grew up together, and we kind of think of them as family. Anyway, Lenny and George, that's their name, called to let us know that George's mother was diagnosed with cancer. It's something that we were all a little worried about since she was experiencing some pain, and there were a few other symptoms as well but a biopsy revealed that indeed it was cancer and in all likelihood it had spread to other parts of the body. She's elderly and everyone knew that this was pretty serious. But here's the thing that struck me as we talked with Lenny and George on the phone that day and as we watched both of them ever since. They are totally involved in their mom's situation. Totally. In the first place they become eager learners wanting to know everything they can about the cancer how far it's spread, what can be done about it, and so on. But they don't just want to know everything. They want to do everything they can to help their mom using what they've learned to treat her condition, to ease the pain, and to make her life as comfortable as they can right now. And at this point in time, by the way, they've decided to live with her because they want to take care of her and give themselves to her completely. And why are they doing this? Well, you know the answer. They love her tons she's a wonderful christian woman who's been a good mom and a great grandmother in other words she's been a faithful member of the family for many years now and her children think she's just about the best thing since sliced bread and so they care for her a lot and now in this moment of need in her life they are going to be there be there and do everything they can to provide the love and the support that she needs at this moment now why am i telling you this story because this story makes sense, doesn't it? What I'm telling you is exactly what you expect under such conditions. Who of us would not respond in the same way in the same circumstances? Not one, that's my guess. Indeed, it's exactly how you responded last year when Ashley Williams was killed in the the automobile accident and her family was in great need. I'd never seen friends and hallmates respond so fully and completely as when Ashley died. You supported her parents. You supported each other. You learned everything you needed to know in order to be the friend you were supposed to be at a crucial point in time in the life of that family. And your behavior didn't surprise me one bit. It's exactly what I've come to expect from this community. It's what we do. It's what we know is right. So here's the question. If that's the case for someone special in our life, like a good friend or parent or grandparent, when, there's an, when they're in need, then why in blazes is that not the case for our Lord all the time? To be blunt, how is it possible for us to say that we love the Lord and not want to know everything we can about him, about him, his world, how he created us? Or how can we possibly learn about his creation, study it and analyze it and think about it and not want to take care of it? not not do what we need to, to do in order to be good stewards of his creation and love our neighbor as ourselves, to care for those whom he has placed on our path and created in our image, in his image, I'm sorry. In other words, if it's perfectly obvious when your grandmother gets sick that you're to love her with heart and head and hands, how in the world can that not be obvious when we're loving our Lord who created heart and head and hands, and in whom we have our very being. How can it be? Well, two possibilities, it seems to me. In the first place, we could be frauds. Our words could be hollow. We say one thing and do another because we don't believe what we say. We're imposters, charlatans. And that's certainly possible, I suppose. We are sinners, after all. Duplicity comes easily for us. And at some level, we are all frauds, but we are also victims in this case, which brings us to a second possibility, which is that what we do, we do this not just because we're frauds, but because I think we have bought into a very unbiblical worldview, one which we think at times is Christian, but which in fact moves us in quite another direction. This summer, our family had the chance to spend two weeks in Italy. All seven of us, children, spouses, the whole kit and caboodle, wandered all over Tuscany, Florence, Rome, Venice. It was the first time for me, though not for our older children. For some reason these days, children seem to go around the world long before their parents. It's not fair, but it happens, and it happened to us. Do I sound bitter? Yes. (laughs) Anyway, in spite of this, I being the last one to get to Italy, the trip was fabulous. Good weather, beautiful countryside, more pasta than I've ever eaten in my life, and art, well, art like you wouldn't believe. Florence especially, which, as you know, was the center of the Renaissance. And when you combine it with the art in Rome and Venice and every town in between, well, it just takes your breath away. At least it did for me. And I'm pretty much an art novice. I mean, I sat there looking at the David and thought to myself, Michelangelo is really pretty good. (laughs) With apologies to my colleagues in the art department. But the thing that hit me, and this is what I really wanted to share, is how thoroughly art was integrated into the church at that point in time. I mean, churches were just loaded with art. Indeed, the church at that point in history was the primary patron of the arts, commissioning the best artists to produce the best art for the church. And, of course, there were all kinds of problems with this. Pride, jealousy, inequity, money poorly spent, all the things that characterize people then as well as now when they try to do anything lavishly. But in spite of these problems, art became the primary vehicle for expressing the biblical story. And it was done with such beauty and depth and creativity that it has inspired Christians ever since around the world. And make no mistake, in spite of the significant problems of that age, and there were significant problems, they did something right, something right, when they mobilized the very best artists of the time to tell the greatest story of all time. Something right and something wonderful. But we don't do that much anymore, do we? And why not? Lots of reasons. The Renaissance itself helped usher in a more literate society, which used written words more than pictures to tell the story. That's one reason. But another, I think, bigger reason is that we reacted against the abuses in the church and outside of it, and very real abuses they were, where art was used for ill and not for good. And so we cut ourselves off from art as if it was the problem and not only depleted the church of one of its resources, but more importantly led Christians to believe for years that art was a waste of time, at best, a diversion more than likely. In other words, here you have this great gift that God has put into the heart of his people, being ignored and suppressed. And the problem with this is not just that talented people were disabled and disengaged from their talent. It was also that in the process, we, the worshipers, We're impoverished in our worship. One of the ways that God put into our hearts to honor and glorify him was amputated from the body. Or in the language of Colossians, we forgot about all things, that all things were created by him and through him and for him. And we've been forgetting about it ever since, it seems to me not just in art, but in literature and philosophy and science as well, when we don't like the conclusions that some scientists draw, for good reason sometimes, by the way. But the problem isn't the creation God made, nor the discipline needed to study it. And the answer is not to ignore the discipline when we don't like the conclusions, but to take it on and study it better in a way that honors the creator. And the same thing is true in the physical realm, I think, whether it's using one's bodies to play soccer or exercise or sing or dance. We've gotten some grief over the years at Westmont about allowing dancing on campus and even having a dance minor for that matter. And I want to ask, how can that be? How can that be? People have been dancing since the dawn of creation. The Bible is loaded with it. Why? Because that's how we were created. Some more than others, my wife likes to remind me. The problem isn't dance. It's how you dance and to what end. Dance well, my friends. That's the point. And dance to the honor and glory of the one who rhythmically created you. I have a dream. I have a dream. And it is simply that Westmont would be different. Different from the culture around it, for one thing, which has no way of discerning good from evil, And seems hell-bent on confusing the two but different as well from those who cut themselves off from the good in reaction to abuses in the past we embrace the good at Westmont because we believe in a God who is the author of all that is good all that is good and all that is right and beautiful and true and that means that there is no dichotomy between doing and thinking or thinking and feeling or feeling and anything else Not only because one implies the other, but the same God created us as doing, feeling, thinking beings. To pit one against the other is to pit God against himself. To privilege one over the other is to privilege one part of creation over another. But there is only one privileged position at this college. And that's because there's only one privileged position in all creation. And that is held by our Christ, preeminent in all things. All things. All things which is why Westmont is a liberal arts college, by the way. What is a liberal arts college, anyway? I'm serious. What's a liberal arts college? How would you define it? Most people can't, by the way. It's the longest-running tradition in American higher education, and most people don't have a clue what it is. It's the thing that shaped Harvard and Yale in their formative years. And even today, if you go to Harvard as an undergraduate, You don't say, I'm from Harvard University. You say, I go to Harvard College. That's because the heart of Harvard is the college. And the heart of the college is the liberal arts. But what does that mean? I'll tell you a secret. The folks at Harvard don't know these days. And that's not a slam at Harvard. It's a slam at colleges and universities across the country. The liberal arts are the very best we have to offer. and No one can define it. Our best students want to go there, and no one knows why. But what... What is it that ought to be going on there? No one knows. But we do. We do. We few, we happy few. Thank you, William. We do, or we'd better, because Westmont is a liberal arts college in the classic form, which means it's expensive, for one thing. Whenever you hear... Whenever you hear the word classic, hold on to your pocketbook. But more importantly, it means that we take the liberal arts seriously at Westmont, which means you will get the best education this culture has to offer if we are living up to our own aspirations. So what are the liberal arts about? Let me give you one word just to make it easy. One word. Becoming. Write it down. Well, write it down later. Becoming. It's about becoming the person you were created to be. It's about growing into the image of your creator, becoming like him in affections and knowledge and character and in deed. The word arts here refers not to the discipline of visual arts per se, but those skills and understandings that you will need in your life's journey. Think of the art of living and you get closer to the meaning. And the word liberal refers not to an ideology, but to freedom. The freedom, the liberation that comes from learning the art of living, living rightly and living well in concert with the one who created you. And so they are sometimes called the liberating arts or the freeing arts because they free you from those things that hinder growth like ignorance and sin and sloth, a lot of other bad things. And they root you instead in a sure foundation capable of launching you into a lifetime of learning and living And loving your God as well as your neighbor. And now you know two things. You know what the liberal arts are. And you also know why almost no one else does in this culture. Even at the best liberal arts colleges. Right? Because you can't get someplace if you don't know where you're going. And you certainly can't reflect your creator becoming like him in affections and knowledge and character and deed without knowing his Christ. Why? Because he is your redeemer, that's why. The visible image of the invisible God who existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings and kingdoms, rulers and authority, faculty and students, deans and presidents, everything has been created through him and for him. We start with Jesus at Westmont, not in spite of our wanting to be the very best liberal arts college we can be, but because of it. Because there's no other way to get from where we are to where we ought to be except through him. No other way. No other way. Well, that's it. I'm done. I'm pretty passionate about this, as you can tell, because there's nothing more important for us to know right now, as we begin this year together at Westmont. So let me summarize, and I'm going to put this up on the screen, or Brad is, uh, assuming we can do this. Because uh, you're going to be tested on this someday, if not this fall, at some point in your life, guaranteed. In whom do we place our trust? Christ, preeminent in all things. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers of power, all things have been created through him and for him. And what are we? A liberal arts college, which means we are a people in process, becoming the people we were created to be, reflecting in heart and hands and head the image of our creator. A people, therefore, loving to learn, learning to live and living to love There you go that's it Thank you Brad let us let us pray Oh, Father, we are so stupid, as you well know, thinking that you want a Vesper service on Sunday when you want the whole week, thinking that you want a tithe and a farthing now and then when you own the whole bank. Lord, we confess our stupidity before you this morning and commit this day at Westmont to give you your due. You are the Lord of all creation, This we declare our heads, our hearts, our hands are yours because you created them all. Inspire in us this year by your spirit, a thirst and a hunger for you that our appetite for learning would be voracious, that our desire to live according to what we have learned could not be deterred and that our living today and in the days to come would be marked by the love of Christ. For which we were created, through which we have been redeemed, and by which we live both now and forevermore. Amen. We're dismissed.